would turn in the Bible to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. While you're turning to Psalm 100, I want to make two uh, announcements that will be helpful to you. The first is in two weeks, the first Sunday of February, we're going to together venture into a massive, massive study. We want to lead you all in a in-depth, thorough study of the book of Revelation. That's a big one. That's a deep one. You can pray for us. But starting on Sunday, February the 6th, the first Sunday of February, we will start and we don't have an end date in sight. We want to answer your questions. We want to study God's word together. We want to pray like crazy that God would teach us. Revelation is a good book. It's not necessarily the most confusing book in the Bible, although it gets that reputation. But we're looking forward as a church to us being committed together on Sunday mornings and studying that together. I wanna ask you to go get a notebook, get you a pen that works, do whatever you gotta do to be able to listen and pay attention. Resolve now that you'll be here every single Sunday morning and let's commit together. Starting in two weeks, we'll be studying the book of Revelation. Every verse from start to finish. Along with that, we're gonna make a big change, okay? In two weeks, we are gonna change our live stream to be the sermon only. When we started live stream, it was just because we weren't coming together and we weren't able to meet and COVID was such a big deal, but for quite some time now, you can see there are a lot of people gathering. We don't want to make it impossible for people that are home, so in two weeks, it will be live stream only for the sermon, which means if you tune in at 1045, there won't be anything. There'll be a little message there that says, service has started, and once the sermon begins, it will turn on. And you know how we are around ti- with time around here. Right now, it's 1120. It'll be about that time that the preacher gets up here to lead us in that, okay? I don't know how much longer we'll continue with the live stream, We will always record the sermon and it will be available. We're not sure about that yet. But starting in two weeks in February, the only watching that will be live will be the sermon. All right? Everybody got that? And for everybody that's watching at home, we're glad that you are. We want to continue to bless you and serve you with that. Whenever the live stream does finish, we'll be sure to let let you know. Of course, all the sermons are being recorded and they are available almost immediately after the service anyway. So anybody that misses church can always go back. Over the last two years, we have seen all of us, right, benefit greatly from the sermons being available online and of course, that will continue. This morning, we are at Psalm 100. And we decided before this year, 2022, started that Psalm 100 would be the call to worship for us every single Sunday. We used to read the next Psalm, and we did that for years, and we've read Psalm 1 through 150 multiple times here, all of the Psalms over the years. Now we're changing it, and we're going to continue to do Psalm 100 until we feel like each and every one of us have a good grasp of this short, sweet solid, strong psalm. It's only five verses. So today we're going to preach on that. As we get started, I want to ask you to work on this psalm. Try to know it. Try to memorize it. 
I know some of you all here don't have any scripture memorized, and that's okay. Today's a great day to start. I want to challenge you, though, to work at this. Even if you're a man, even if you're an older man, and you think, oh, I can't do that. I can hardly remember my phone number, right? I want you to commit to trying to learn Psalm 100. I want you to hear from me today that it will absolutely, incredibly impact your family, your home, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, if they see that you are trying to memorize this. Start one verse at a time. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. That's it. That is verse one. That is Psalm 100, verse one. You've only got four more after that, and you have the whole thing. We want as a church to come together. You know as much as we know that in these days, unity is lacking, isn't it? Unity is missing in families, it's missing in communities, it's missing in workplaces, in offices, in organizations, in schools, and unity is missing in churches. There may be no better way for us to work towards unity than to know that the person beside you and the person that just parked beside you and the person that you just sang songs with is working also on memorizing this psalm. We together are trying to memorize God's word. And Psalm 100 is where we're going to start. I don't know how long Psalm 100 will be our call to worship, but it's gonna be for a while and I hope you have it. Matt McBroom and I were talking this week. We know a few people We know a few of the younger people in the church that say they've already got Psalm 100 memorized. May it be a challenge that you're willing to accept. May you work on it. Make some flashcards. Listen to it in the car. Listen to it on your phone until you know Psalm 100. Let's read it together. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is a good psalm, isn't it? It covers many, many things. I want to ask three questions today that we all want some answers to. I know that you do. Number one, I want to ask, according to Psalm 100, who is God? Who is God? Who does God say that he is? Now, obviously, in this big, long book, he says a lot of things. But according to this short psalm, who does God say that he is? Number one, who is God? Number two... I want us to ask, who are we? I want you to ask, who am I? According to this passage, Psalm 100, who am I? What does God say my identity is? Or better, where does my identity come from? Who am I? And then thirdly, a point of application, what does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? We'll end with the list of imperatives, commands that we have here. So first, who is God? This whole book is devoted to telling us who God is. The Bible, Genesis to Revelation, this long book is wanting us to understand not first and foremost who we are, but rather who God is. 
One of the big flaws that we are seeing in the world today is that all things goodness or all things spiritual, all things that are attempting to move in a good, positive, forward direction are trying to do that in a flawed way by starting with ourselves. Listen to me here this morning. We will not come to the solution that we're looking for if we are starting with ourselves. That's not how God wants us to be. God wants us to understand this world, this life, ourselves through him. We start with him. This is the question we are to be asking, who is God? And this whole book tells us who God is and what he's like. And this Psalm 100 also does. Let's look at a few things. Verse 3 says that we are to know that the Lord, he is God. We are to know that God is God. That sounds a little crazy or a little redundant, but we are to know that there is really only one true God. There cannot be multiple gods and they'll be on the same level. There is one being that is bigger and more and greater than all the others. He is God and we need to know that. And it is that God, that one supreme being, that higher power, that God, according to verse three, is the creator God. Verse three says, he made us. Now you can see that in question number two, when we ask who am I, we're gonna get back to that. We are people made by God. But we're not talking about us yet, we're talking about him. He is the maker. And not only does he make things like oceans and trees and mountains and planets and universes, he makes people. And not only does he make people that can do whatever they want to, he makes people that he possesses, that are his, that he claims, that he powerfully, masterfully, divinely, spiritually works in. God does that. God is a relational God. He is a father. He's also a shepherd. We'll talk about that here in a minute. These are just a few things that Psalm 100 are telling us about God. He's God and he's the creator. He made us. But jump over to verse 5, the final verse of Psalm 100. He's good. He can't be anything other than good. And every time we have a thought or a feeling or an experience that tempts us or pushes us or with discouragement, thought causes us to think that he's not good, it's a thought from the devil. It's a thought from the sinful, dark side of this world that is inaccurate and it's incorrect. God is good. The one true God, the God that made us, is completely good. He can't do anything other than good, and we are reminded of that. And in his goodness, he loves. Verse 5 says that too. His steadfast love endures forever. That which God loves He never stops loving. We're so filled with experiences that feel loving and then don't feel loving that it's pretty fair to say that many, many people aren't sure what it means to be loved now. I thought I loved that, but now I don't. I thought they loved me, but now they don't. I thought I was into that, but now I'm not. And I thought that was good for me, but now I'm not so sure that it is. And we used love on all of those experiences. 
And the Bible wants us to know that real, true love that starts with God who himself describes himself as love. God is love, 1 John 4 says. The true God, the real God, the one and only God, the creator God, loves. And that which he loves, he loves forever and he never stops. You need to be able to think about that and understand that. And then it concludes by saying in verse 5, His faithfulness to all generations. If you're not careful, you can get caught up in this uh, storm and tornado and winds blowing of negativity. That God is dying and that uh, Christ is not advancing and that Christianity doesn't have any power. But when we get back to the Bible, we are reminded that the one true God is doing what the one true God has always done. Faithfully loving forever. That's what he does. The Bible reminds us here that he is faithful to all generations. My generation, he is faithful to. Your generation, he is faithful to. The generations before them, he was faithful to them. The generations and generations and generations and generations way before them, he was faithful to them. The generations that are being born now, they're gonna grow up in this world Do we all act like we're so worried about? The Bible says that he is faithful to them. And these kids that are growing up, that will graduate college around 2040, right? And listen, there's a chance. There's a real chance. There's some people in this room that are gonna see year 2100. Think about that. Isn't that something? Sounds crazy, doesn't it? There are some people in this room, potentially, that will see the year 2100. Can you imagine? I remember when I thought 2000 was going to end it all. And yet we're so far forward that there will be people that will see that. What will the world be like then? Can you imagine? Can you imagine 78 years from now? How messed up might things be? But you know what will be guaranteed true that God will be so good and true and loving and faithful to his people in that day. I don't know a lot of things. I don't know a lot of things that will be going on then. We don't know what it will be like then, but it is for sure that for those who believe in him, he will be faithful to them. When we start to read our Bibles and especially remember and memorize passages like Psalm 100, it is such a strength to us, a strengthener to us to know who God is. And this short Psalm 100 is reminding us that he will always be faithful to us. He's God. He's creator. He's good. He's loving. And he's faithful to everybody. That's who he is. That's what he's like. The Zondervan NIV Study Bible, which I read from time to time because it has a lot of good notes in it, it says this when describing God according to Psalm 100. I like this sentence. Listen to this. It says, the Lord's love is a faithful love. Now, it's sad that we need to clarify that, right? As if there's such thing as an unfaithful love, right? And yet, we know. We have experienced some unfaithful love. 
And so the Bible says that which we would think you wouldn't have to say, but it says it about God. His love endures forever and his faithfulness always. And so this commentary says that the Lord's love is a faithful love and his faithfulness demonstrates his love. It sounds like it's repeating itself, but it's so true, right? It's like that circular reasoning where when you get this, it helps you get this. And when you get this, it helps you get this. And when you get this, it helps you get this. And when you get this, it helps you get this, right? God loves us. And to prove it, he's faithful to us. And when God starts proving that he's faithful to us, you start remembering he loves me. Him sticking by me and always being true reminds me that he loves me. And when I start to think about he loves me and how he loves me and what it means that he loves me, it makes me think, wow, he is so faithful and consistent and he never changes and he never gives up and he never gets angry with me and turns his back on me. He's faithful, he loves me, he's faithful, he loves me. And you see this going on with the truths that God tells us about himself. We need to know what God is really like. It's unfortunate that there are those out there in the world today who still don't know what he's like. It's unfortunate that there are those in our homes that don't know what he's like. I was at a gym a couple weeks ago, and a lady that I had never spoken to came up to me and asked some questions about church. I guess she knew that I went to church. And she said, listen to me. She said, I've always grown up in church. She's in her mid to late 20s. She said, I'd always grown up in church. I know God and I know about God. But the other day, my child, this is what she said, the other day my child said to me, Mom, who is God? And she said it scared me. I had thought about how much I knew God, but I hadn't been thinking about whether my kids knew God. Church, that can't be the case. We are committing ourselves to knowing God. And to knowing God teaches us that he knows us. And he wants us to know him. And he describes himself in many ways. But here in Psalm 100, a simple little psalm for you and I to rally around and kind of unite around. We are seeing God describe himself in these ways. He is God. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He is good. He loves us and he is faithful. May you know that. May you shape your life around that. May you commit to that. May you believe that. May you surrender to that. And may you say, because he is all of that to me, I want everybody in my sphere of influence, in my home, if they sit at your dinner table, if you buy their Chick-fil-A, if you go through this Dairy Queen drive-thru and buy them blizzards, make sure they know that you know that you want them to know know what he's like. Why wouldn't you? Who is God? Oh, he's good and loving. Now, to understand God really well, we have to understand what God has done. And this passage doesn't tell us a whole lot about the redemption fact that we understand through the gospel, through Christ. But the good God that made us, the good God that is faithful to us forever, is the God that sent his son, Jesus, to become a man 
and then live through this world, connect and identify and relate and understand us in all of our struggles and in all of our temptations and in all of our brokenness and all of our hurting, facing the devil, dealing with the devil, and then dying in our place. A beautiful sacrifice that you and I would be brought into a relationship with God. And Jesus died on the cross and they buried him in the grave and three days later, he was back, alive, victorious. Understanding that about God is the key to starting to understand ourselves. If question number one is who is God, question number two is who am I? And Psalm 100 serves us well to answer this question. Number one, who is God? Number two, who am I? Look back with me to verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. Now look here what he says. It is he who made us. And we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Now, other than this psalm telling us what to do, which is going to be my third and final point, there's no other mention in verse 3 about us. This psalm is clearly about God. This psalm is all about God. This psalm, like all the psalms, is a song to God. You know that, right? think you need to know that. The Psalms are songs for the people of Israel. Now, they weren't written in English. They've been translated for us into English. This Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language. And these Psalms, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, all the way through Psalm 150, are songs for the people of Israel. And they used to sing them. And so, over the years, Christians, believers, churches have come to believe this and understand this, and so we like to sing the song, sing the psalms. And so that's why there are many psalms that you and I know and we like, and we hear them in songs, and we think, I know that one, I know what that comes from, that comes from this psalm, or that comes from that psalm, and you're familiar with that. Psalm 100 is one of those that Christians have sung for the longest time. As I was studying and preparing for this sermon I was reading, and one of the commentators says that it used to be in the church all the time that the church loved to say, let's sing the old 100th. Let's sing the old 100th. That Psalm 100 was such a staple, such a regular song that they would sing in churches. The reason why they like to sing this song is because it is so much about God, and yet it mentions how we are to understand ourselves in light of God. And that's what verse three is about. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. That second line there, it is he who made us, is profound. It is teaching us what the Bible wants us to understand. In order for you and I to understand who we are, we must understand who God is. We understand ourselves in light of God. God made us and we are his. This is a possessive thing. He owns us or possesses us. He is over us. When we start to talk about identity and we ask the question, who am I? 
There are a lot of good ways to answer that, aren't we? Aren't there? There are. You might say I'm an honest person or I'm a hardworking person. You might say I'm a, I'm a husband. I have a, I have a wife. I am, I am Valeria's husband, and that's part of my identity, and that's a good one. You might work there. I'm a dad, and I, I have these kids, and I am these kids' dad. You might say I have a job, and I, I work there, and they, they depend on me. And all of these sorts of things are good, helpful, beneficial for you understanding your identity. They're important. You might say I'm a child. These are my parents, and I'm proud to be their child, and I want to make them proud. I want to live up to the name. I take this last name seriously. There are lots of ways to think through our identity. Many of them are good, but I want to be real honest with you this morning, and Psalm 100 is helping us. Every identity that we claim is only to find its significance in the bigger identity of being God's. We struggle and fail and misunderstand every identity we claim if we do not understand our identity in God. To be a man or a woman, to be a husband or a wife, to be a mother or a father, to be honest or hardworking or a son or a daughter or a grandfather or a grandmother, to be an employee and a good one, to be whatever you are and to be it to the best that you can be it is to be it as God's. Understanding our identity, answering the question, who am I, makes the most sense and serves us best and empowers us mostly when we are what we are because we are God's. Psalm 100 helps us with this. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In verse 3, he goes to this analogy that the Bible uses a lot, and he brings up the sheep of his pasture. There's not a lot here in Psalm 100. There's no, there's no uh, direct mention of God being a shepherd, but this is an analogy that the Bible uses a lot, and so I don't want us to miss it. God's a shepherd. He likes to say that. There's several passages that you and I know right now. Here he doesn't say it, but he does say that we're his sheep of his pasture. Does God have a pasture? Does God own land? Does he have a fence around it? Does he have a tractor? Does he take care of it? Is God a farmer? Is he a shepherd or a farmer or both? Well, you know that some of those questions are a little silly. But why does he use that analogy then? Because there are some ways that the shepherd-sheep analogy just really connects with us. Do you remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Means he satisfies me. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Think about that shepherd sheep analogy. Out in the field, out in the pasture, a shepherd with a rod that you beat things with, you fight enemies with, you turn away bad guys and obstacles and hindrances and temptations with, and a staff that's got a shepherd's hook on the top, and you can grab a sheep by its neck and pull it this way and point it this way. That's just Psalm 23. What about John chapter 10? Some of y'all make McBroom read earlier. And since I was supposed to preach last week, we read it last week too. Some of y'all may have noticed that. What about that one where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd? You remember what he said there? He said, my sheep know my voice. They have ears for it. There's a lot of voices in the world, he says, but they don't listen to the other voices. They listen to my voice. They know the difference. The other voices out there in the world act like they're shepherds. They're fake shepherds. They're hired hands, and they don't really love the sheep. And when it gets hard, and when it gets ugly, and life gets down, and there's temptation, and evil, and discouragement, and lowliness, and doubt, and evil, they flee because they don't really love the sheep. The shepherd stays and cares and leads and guides. And the sheep know his voice and they listen to it. They won't listen to another, they'll listen to that one. And five times in John chapter 10, five times really, I mean it sounds a little uh, too much. He says that he lays down his life for the sheep. I want to ask you here today, If you would believe that God is your shepherd and you are his sheep, that he leads, you follow. He protects you. He guides you. He takes care of you. The shepherd-sheep analogy has so much to say, right? He feeds, he leads, he guides, he protects, he warns, he does all of these things. It's a big analogy, Old Testament, New Testament, we see it all the time. And in Psalm 100, we are reminded of it. It is in understanding our identity, who am I, that God yet again brings up the shepherd. Do you believe like that? Did you start your day today like that? When things get rough tomorrow, will you look back to the shepherd Will you believe that his faithfulness is extended to you as all generations? And the shepherd does not leave the sheep. As long as you're a sheep in the pasture, there's a shepherd that is taking care of the sheep of the pasture. Is that you? Is that your faith? Do you trust in Christ in that way? Is he your father in heaven? Do you feel like in a world where there are so many things that are left unanswered and really so many questions that we have and so many things that we don't understand, it is so strengthening and settling to know, well, I know that much. I know who I am because I know who he is. He's the shepherd and I'm the sheep. I'm one of his sheep. I'm his. 
I want to show you one more thing in talking about who am I. In Psalm 100, there are five verses. And in English, we miss this a lot. There are lots and lots of ways that the Old Testament literature is written so that uh, it has like a, 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 a literary structure to it, or it has like a, a poetic structure to it. And if you, if you don't ever study a little bit more, sometimes you just miss this altogether, right? Psalm 119, that really, really long psalm, is 176 verses. You may, you may know this, right? But it's 176 verses because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet gets eight verses. And so 22 times eight is 176. And every single section in Psalm 119 has eight lines, sentences, or to us, verses that start with that letter. You will never know that just by reading the foolish. But whoever wrote that, we think it's David, put a ton of effort into writing this beautiful poetic thing. That's Psalm 119. In the book of Lamentations, which is written by Jeremiah, you see another similar thing. Chapter 1, 22 verses. Chapter 2, 22 verses. Chapter 3, 66 verses. Chapter 4, 22 verses. Chapter 5, 22 verses. Or something very similar to that. And what you have, right, in the original Hebrew language is this poem that was written to emphasize something. There's something like that going on in Psalm 100, and you would, you would not notice. At the very, very center, not necessarily in English, it's pretty close in English, but in the original language, in the very, very center, so if it was building up, it'd be like this, or if it was going that way, it'd be like this. At the very, very center of Psalm 100 is this word, his people, his people. And understanding God and life and church and religion and Bible and everything in the world is to be based off of the identity that we have. I am God's. I'm God's. He made me. I'm his. He's a shepherd like to me. I'm a sheep. I follow him. I am being directed in my life by the power of God through my Savior Christ working in and through me. Again, we don't have answers to everything in the world, but the answer of who we are deep down is loved by God, being faithfully served by a Father in heaven because his son died on the cross for our sins and our sins are forgiven. We are his people by faith. We are to believe that. And at the very center of Psalm 100, we have that emphasis. I want to ask you here today, by knowledge from the scriptures, who is God and who are you? I want to push you to believe. I want to push you to commit. We want you to turn from your sins. We want you to ask God for forgiveness. We want you to believe that in trying to find an identity that is based off all the examples that I've been giving, like you're a dad or you're a husband or you know, all of those things, or even you're hardworking or you know, you're these things, that you would seek to find that identity even more grounded on a solid rock cornerstone foundation that is, I'm his. I am God's. Christ died for me. If you can't answer the question of who am I by including that you are God's, would you consider that? Would you be bothered by that? And would you turn to Christ? Would you believe? Would you ask him for forgiveness? Number one, who is God? Number two, who am I? And then lastly, number three, what does he want me to do? 
What does he want me to do? It's really hard to tell exactly, you know, where Christians are these days and where churchgoers are these days and what they're really struggling with. But one of the questions that comes up all the time is, okay, now that I'm trying to do church or now that I'm trying to say that I'm a Christian or, or that I'm his, what do I do with it, right? What are the next steps? Do I, do I get involved? Do I serve here? Do I get a Bible? Do I start reading it? Do I go to Bible study? You know, what does God want me to do? What does it mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean to try to walk in truth? What does it mean to turn from my sins and be against evil and be light and not darkness and all that? Well, one of the coolest things about Psalm 100 is in this, this short psalm, these five verses, there are six really strong and clear commands, imperatives, truly. Six of them. If you've got a pen, I want to show them to you real quickly. <clears throat> six of them. The first one is make. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. You want to underline that. The second one is serve. Serve the Lord with gladness. The third one is come, come into his presence with singing. The fourth one is know, know that the Lord, he is God. The fifth one is over in verse four, fourth one, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And the, fourth one, uh, the sixth one is give, give thanks to him. We've kind of been caught up, haven't we? In this message, whether it be the American dream or whether it be just the uh, motivational speech influence, where we think in order for us to really be real or genuine or significant or important or meaningful, that we have to be heroic and we have to accomplish something great or we have to make such a big difference. It has to be big or it has to be world-changing or we have to have some sort of a major impact. And so, we're always, always looking for something on that scale. We're often let down because our lives just don't seem to be that massive. So we're disappointed. And we think, I'm just not really doing it. I'm not making a difference. And yet I want us to see from the Bible and from Psalm 100 today there are six commands here, not one command, six commands in this little psalm that we're all trying to remember of what God wants us to do, what he expects, what he is telling us to do. And they're very far from being world-changing. They're pretty simple. They're pretty normal. And yet they are beautiful and obedient toward God. The first one is, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Hey, we are to be a loud people, or at least a vocal people. We are to be a people that sing or speak. We are to be a people who realize that on Sunday mornings, one of the reasons why we need to make an effort to get here is because you know and I know you're not one of the as much as you should be in your living room on a live stream, and that's just the truth. I'm one of the pastors of our church, and last week I watched the live stream, and I'll be honest, I didn't sing any. I liked the songs, but I was more so thinking about 
What's going on? Is the lighting right there? I mean, is this sound right? I mean, what's Andrew got going on today? I mean, you know, what, what kind of shirt Jake wearing today, you know? I'm sitting there thinking about all of that as I'm watching the live stream, and I wasn't singing, and I certainly wasn't standing up, and I never even thought about raising my hands in worship as if God was holy and worthy and deserving. I'll be honest, I wasn't thinking about making a joyful noise to the Lord. I was thinking more along the lines of things like, well, I'm at home, and I've, I've got to at least try to do something, and so I'm going to watch this, and, you know, I don't, I, you know, God forbid anybody in the church ask me if I watch, and I say, no, I didn't watch, you know, I mean, I we provide this service of live stream, but I didn't even watch that, right? You know, those sorts of things. The Bible tells us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And if God commands that, people that command it think, I want to do that, Don't you know that when somebody good for you commands you to do something, it is a glorious, wonderful, beautiful response to say, yes, sir. When you tell your kids, all right, enough's enough, it's it's time, y'all go get get your pajamas on, it's about time for bed, and they throw a fit and they ignore you, they don't listen, or they whine or whatever, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't seem right, it's frustrating. But when you say, all right, well, we had fun playing that game, but now it's about time for bed. You all go get your pajamas on. And they go, okay. And they tidy up their little board game. They put it back in the box. And they clean up. And they put it where it goes. And they run off. And they come back two seconds later with their pajamas on. And you're like, wow. You recognize what is right and good. And when God gives commands, those that believe all the things about who he is and all the things about who we are, I've got in. I want to obey him. If he says make a joyful noise to the Lord, then I've got to find a gathering somewhere where noise is being made so that I can participate in that. And the beautiful thing about God is that he never says that the quality of the singing is what worships him. He never says that. So that singers like me or singers like you can be making a joyful noise, believing that the creator God, the loving God, the faithful God, the good God is worshiped by that noise. He is. That's the first command. The second command is serve the Lord with gladness. And let's just be totally honest and I'm running out of time. If you don't believe what I said in the first 40 minutes about who is God and who am I, you do not believe to serve the Lord with gladness. Serving continues to be a burden and a grudge and something that you just don't like and you only do it if you have to do it. And half the time the attitude is wrong to go along with it. But if the first 40 minutes of today in Psalm 100 of the Bible is true, and who God is and who I am is defined by the love and mercy of God and the work of Christ on the cross, then serve the Lord with gladness is a real category that you and I embrace. Amen? Amen. Yes. Two weeks ago, we had the big truck get here for Dare to Care. 18,000 pounds of food, like 20 pallets of food, dropped off in our back church parking lot. It was a lot. And we had so many people that couldn't be here that day. And so I had found a bunch of the uh, uh, younger men in the church that they could be here, about about four or five, six guys here. And we just knocked it out. And I was, I was feeling 42 years old and old and winded. And I felt like, oh my goodness, I'm sitting here struggling. And so in the middle of us just assembly line, and with all these heavy pallets of food and just going like this and loading up the rooms and loading up the shelves and loading up the uh, uh, 
sheds in the back and, and, and all of that, the storage buildings, and doing all of that, I'm like sweating and trying to catch my breath, and I'm Got y'all. I started to say over and over to these young guys, I said, guys, man, thank y'all so much for coming. I'm sorry we got y'all out here. I'm sorry, sorry that y'all are doing this, and I hate that. And one of them spoke up and said, don't apologize to us. We're glad to be doing this. Is that a real category? Is that a real category? I remember a couple years ago. We were playing a flag football game here at church. We were out in the field. We were actually behind Fairdale Elementary School. We were playing out there, and it was, it was hot, and we were playing, and we, we have a tendency to kind of go too long and drag it out. And while we were playing, one of the ladies on the sideline over there got sick and threw up, vomited, and it kind of got all over her. And it was kind of messy. There are no bathrooms over there. There are no faucet, no water, no anything. But I've never forgotten what happened. Another young lady ran to her, found some rags, found some bottled water, and helped her get all cleaned up. And I'll never forget, she went and found a guy that was playing football that had an extra shirt, got the shirt, and took this young lady like around the building and even got her chained. Gladly serving because of who God is and because of who we are. The third command says, come into his presence with singing, very similar to the first one, but aware that God sees, aware that we're in his presence, aware that that God knows that he's with us, aware that he dwells with us, that he gathers with the people. The fourth one, know that the Lord, he is God. What an awesome command. Hey, I said that we're all looking for this big identity of doing something great. There's a command in Scripture for you to just simply know the right things. No. Not do, no. Just up here. Just in here. Understand, think, believe, process, get it, think rightly, trust, no. This is who he is. And this is who I am. Never let myself get away from that. So I will cling to people like you. And I will cling to places like this. And I will sit through long sermons like this so that my mind keeps knowing because God wants me to. The fifth one is enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The the sixth one is to give thanks to him, bless his name. Six commands of what God wants us to do. None of them sound like somebody's gonna get their name on a building. None of them sound like somebody that's gonna get a trophy for doing it. But every one of them sound like happy, focused people who know who God is and know who we are. I wanna challenge you to memorize Psalm 100. I wanna ask you to believe who God is according to what he says and to believe who you are according to what he says. Trust in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Psalm 100. We ask, dear God, that it would shape our lives. We ask, dear God, that it would shape our church, that it would create unity. God, I pray there would be men, dads, and grandfathers who are going to do something they've never done before, and they're going to ask this week for their household and their kids and grandkids to memorize Psalm 100. 
Dear God, I pray that we would know you and know ourselves and that there would be joy and gladness in knowing, hey, I know six things God wants me to do. I know what my Christianity is shaped like. I know what it's like to be a church member, and it's going to start with these six commands. Father, we ask that you would work in us. We pray for our church to be a church committed to the Scriptures and trusting in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.